I want to welcome everyone to uh, come and reason Sabbath School. My name is Russell. I'm filling in for Tim this week. I want to welcome uh, any visitors we have. I want to welcome the uh, folks listening via internet. Uh, let's start with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace and protection this past week. Uh, we ask uh, that you be with those of our group who are not with us today and bring them back safely to us. I ask that you guide our study this morning uh, as we examine and discuss uh, the women, the important women that you have used uh, to further the gospel and your work. Uh, we ask that you continue to bless our group corporately and individually, uh, and you continue leading in our lives that we may be better examples of your of your son while we're here on this earth. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Women of Mission, study number 10. And in order to prepare for this study, I took a bubble bath last night and wore something pink, something lacy underneath. Uh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Tim is actually in town here. He knew that I was so well in touch with my feminine side, he just begged me to come and, and teach today's lesson. Because, no, in all seriousness... Um, I struggled mightily with this lesson, so I, I really want to ask for input from the uh, group, especially those with uh, two X chromosomes. Someone read the uh, the memory text for Sabbath's lesson. This is from, taken from Luke seven forty seven, and then we're going to examine a little bit the context behind where this text was taken from, and, and see if we can discover anything uh, enlightening. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. This is a familiar story to us. This is the uh, story when Christ went to the Pharisee's house. And this starts in Luke seven thirty-six, And the woman brought a jar of perfume and poured it on his feet and uh, cleaned off his feet with her tears and hair. And the Pharisee and his friends were thinking... This man must not be a prophet if he doesn't know what kind of a woman is touching him. And then Jesus tells the parable about the two men with the different debts. What sorts of things strike you about this story and, and the, the culmination here? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. He who has been forgiven little loves little. First of all, Jesus didn't care what other people thought about who he dealt with. It's more important to him that he comfort people solve the problems, help them heal. He was more concerned with that than the outer appearance of what people thought. But in those days, they were more concerned with the appearances, and he wasn't. Correct. Well said. I'm glad we have grown as Christians to, to where we, we now don't worry about the outer appearance, and we, we only concern ourselves with uh, what's in the heart. <laughs> Is there anything significant about this story being told about female as opposed to a male? Females weren't thought of very highly in those days. Correct. They they were little more than property. Christ, in many in many of the cultures. Okay. Any other thoughts? I've been reading a book by Robert Whelan, who's a different generation, but primarily on discovering the cross. And he devotes the last two or three chapters of his book to uh, 
how her particular sacrifice symbolized Christ going to the cross and the price he would pay. And it was particularly helpful to Christ to see someone making this type of sacrifice during his last hours. You mean the woman's sacrifice of, of buying the perfume and spending you know, uh, a lot of money on it and, and then giving it to him? Okay. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't considered it from that angle. Yes, sir. It's like she was the only one who was worth serious that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Do you think that she knew he was going to die or that she was just so grateful that here was a man that didn't um, look at her with lust in his eyes and, and, and look at her for something that he could get from her? That's what he said. He said, she has done this in preparation for my burial. Yeah, okay, and the story may be told in one of the other Gospels where it said, it, it doesn't say that in Luke, but I think the story is told in Mark, and he does mention that you know, this is the one where one of the disciples complained that this amount of money could have been uh, given to the poor. Okay, and what was her intent? What was she looking for? I don't think she was looking for anything. I think she was, I think she was repaying him for him forgiving her. Is this the same woman? Was it not? I don't know the scripture tells us clearly that this is the same woman. I think this is one of the stories that has grown something, I don't want to say an urban legend, but it's grown to, it's kind of formed a, a life of its own. Uh, I don't think this is, I don't think scripture tells us that this is the same woman that, that Christ. But she was the one that Simon led into sin. Isn't this the one that Simon led into sending? Luke doesn't even say her name's Mary. Well, I think that maybe we have read more into the scriptures, but uh, Ellen White clearly over and over and over identifies that woman as the same. Right. Okay. So we kind of have come to assume that that's all in the scriptures, and uh, perhaps that isn't as much, but... I've never had any doubt reading Desire of Ages that that was. Okay. Thank you. I'm unfamiliar. Go ahead, Alan. My take on it is that she was willing to be completely honest with herself mm-hmm. about what she had been doing, whether she's that Mary or not. She was willing to be honest with herself and address the issues. It wasn't about a legal forgiveness, per se. It was about her being honest because Jesus addressed Simon and said, you know, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't, you know, you weren't opening up, you weren't able to look inside yourself and see the evil in you. But she was open and honest about it. I think that's the point. Okay, she was clearly grateful about something to spend this much money and that's where he went. And basically, you know, pour it on feet and on the ground. And Christ told her. What did he tell her? Your sins are forgiven. Which caused a whole bunch of murmuring you know, and in the thoughts of, of the host. We see this several times in scripture that the leaders, the Pharisees, did not acknowledge Christ as God on this earth with the power to forgive sins. He also told the crowd that this story will be told all over the world. Because of what she's done when the gospel's told. I think it's used by so many theologians and 
preachers as an example of, of the agape love, which is so different from the other forms of love. And the, in, in that particular form, it, it isn't real, genuine love unless it's wasteful, unless it's extravagant, if it, unless it's doing the best you can. It's that type of love that you see. You mean love on her part or on Christ's part? Her part. Okay. All right. And that, you know, it was just like overwhelmed, and she sensed at least that he was coming near his final days, and and she anointed him for the bearing. And in that sense, she, uh, he says, uh, we will not be his disciples unless we take up our cross and follow him. And so hers was a good example of someone who was willing to take the cross, publicly acknowledge her guilt again, but also uh, give this lavish gift. Tina? In John 12, verse 3, Then Mary took a pint of pure, hard, and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. She was the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Okay. That's what this says. So that connects that dot. Thank you. We'll move on to Sunday's lesson. A couple of the earlier comments talking about this Mary kind of alluded to Christ not being overly concerned with public opinion or, you know, quote, not following the rules that had been set forth from the early Jewish church. Um, Sunday talks a little bit about his breaking the rules. We've already looked at, at one of the examples of how, you know, Christ, quote, broke the rules. He allowed a woman of, quote, ill repute or questionable integrity to touch him, to wash his feet. And think for a little bit about the context of this. In this in this society where women were somewhat less than valuable in the first place, and then a woman, a prostitute as well, this is something that the, the Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead doing. And yet Christ welcomed it. Someone read Luke 8, 41 through 55. Uh, pick a couple of verses, read it, and then someone else pick up the remainder. Just then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still talking, someone from the leader's house came up and told him, Your daughter died. No need now to bother the teacher. Jesus overheard and said, Don't be upset. Just trust me. Everything will be all right. Going into the house, he couldn't let anyone enter again except Peter, John, James, and the child's parents. 
everyone was crying and carrying on over her, Jesus said, on over her, Jesus said, don't cry. She didn't die. She's sleeping. They laughed at him. They knew she was dead. Then Jesus, gripping her hand, called, my dear child, get up. She was up in an instant, up and breathing again. Let's look at the first example. The woman who uh, was cured from her 12 years of uncontrollable bleeding. What rule was broken when this woman touched him? She was unclean. She was ceremonially unclean from the Levitical law. She was essentially an outcast for 12 years straight. I heard a sermon one time talking about this particular story, and the, the guy had done some exhaustive research into the pharisaical Jewish mystical cures for this particular problem. One of the things that the Pharisees believed would cure this problem is that they told women who were afflicted with this to go and find a white she-donkey and sift through its dung to find the undigested corn kernels. And to collect those corn kernels and put them in a clean linen bag and wear it around their neck. And this would cure the prolonged bleeding that the women suffered with. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And apparently it didn't work for her either. So the point he was trying to make is this woman had exhausted most of her resources on physicians and quackery trying to get this condition settled. And think about it for a minute, ladies. It's bad enough that this happens once a month. Think about uncontrolled, continual bleeding. And not only in today's culture, but 2,000 years ago, where you would essentially be ostracized. Uh, you'd be leprous. You'd be unclean. You would not be able to enter the temple. Wouldn't be able to... You know, receive any of the, I mean, you, you, you would feel literally cursed of God. And this woman was at the end of her robe. She thought, this is, the, this is my last chance. If I can just touch the hem of his robe. Yes? Why, uh, explain to me, why was uh -oh. this condition considered to be unclean by Moses? Some reason to it. Uh, I don't know. A uh, short answer to that question. Uh, why was a couple considered unclean after they'd had sex? Why was it forbidden that you were not to wear a garment of mixed fibers, wool and linen together? That was forbidden. Uh, I, I don't know. My thinking is, my suspicion is, that it's probably something that God wanted to instill in the Israelites when they came out of Egypt in order to shield them away from the excesses of sexual activity and so forth, fertility rights and so forth, that the people around them were infected with in order to instill in the, the, the Israelites a sense, a common sense of what is good for the body and what is good for relationships. That's a perfectly good explanation. I don't know whether that's indeed why God, I mean, I don't know why God instituted all of his Levitical law. I mean, clearly he was... He was trying to set them apart from the nations that they were surrounded by to be a kingdom of priests to, to then reveal his character to, to those nations. And they failed. They were seduced by the idolatry and some of the other, uh, some of the practices that were common in the idolatrous nations. I, 
that's a perfectly good explanation, but the fact is, is I don't know for certain why. Now, if, is, if, if that is true, that once a man, a woman was considered to be unclean, then is a woman who is for 12 years as a continuous bleeding, is that woman then considered also to be unclean? That doesn't make much sense to me. Except in the minds of the people that were trying to trap Jesus and to set up all kinds of situations by which they put him in the corner. Why does it not make sense that, that she would be unclean? I, I didn't follow that. Okay, I, I understand that we are talking about that this woman was unclean for 12 years. She was considered cere- ceremonially, ritualistically unclean. By who? The Pharisees. By the Pharisees. But was she, un- was she considered unclean by God? Yeah. By no, God. absolutely not. The original Certainly not. Original so therefore, it is the ambiguity of the, of the leadership that that caused all this. I think that if you go back and read the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary on this and others, that there are people who supposedly have an answer for this. Um, I did not read it this morning. Nor did I. But it isn't that there are no answers. You know, there are no reasons. Every one of those things are traced back through and it was not never my favorite reading, and I forgot it. <laughs> mine, mine either. But, I mean, okay, what reason would God have for telling the Israelites not to wear a garment of mixed cloth? I'll bring my commentary next week. I think it is because if you wash it, it is not a good combination. Cotton sort of like being unequal. Wool, you have to wash very carefully at low temperature. With cotton, you can do anything. It's only wisdom. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know how God's mind was working back then, and, and I don't know how his mind works now. I, what I liked about this woman, that she had the courage to go to God, and she trusted him, and she thought, this is what I can try. In such faith, Absolutely. She could just touch it, it's a faith that must have taken. That's what, that's what healed her. Absolutely. And then to stand there in the crowd and tell Christ, within earshot of the crowd, why she had touched him. And she was she was terrified. She was afraid that she knew that she was ostracized and ritually unclean, and she was afraid she might be sentenced to death. Isn't there women today who have is it endometriosis? Endometriosis. Yeah, they bleed, and no one really thinks. Uh, you know, they're terrible. I mean, it's cured by doctors. I I've heard about it. I don't know what what the problems are, but it just seemed like you accept the person, you know, that that's just another disease that people have. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't think we ostracize women for that now, but think about the burden it is to the woman. Yeah. Yes. Also, going back to kind of the bigger picture here, um, it seems like Christ in his life and God as a whole is trying to show us their nation and now our nation, that the lowest of low has no excuse for not accepting his love because he accepts them. And so he's using women, he's using women with problems, he's using Mary Magdalene, he's using everything that that people tend to go against and push aside as, as unclean or not good. 
and he's saying, these are the people I love. And I think that's why we're given all these illustrations. Oh, absolutely. Well said. And this is, this is getting back to this breaking the rules uh, theme that we're under. Christ allowed this woman to touch him. He healed her to show the church leadership that a new covenant was being instituted. When I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, especially in this lesson, in everything that he did, Christ in this lesson, it was like he broke the rules of the church. Right. If we had a preacher today that did that, that openly addressed situations that went contrary to what the church presented, how would we react to him? We'd send them out west. <laughs> we'd send them back to Southern California. That's what we'd do. It certainly was. And, and he was on his way to heal a girl who ended up dying in the time that he was detained healing this woman. And then he went to the, the, the parents' house and he touched a dead person, which made him ceremonially, ritualistically unclean. But you know, we can look at those ceremonial things and think it's not important, but to them it was. It was very important back then. Do we have any ceremonies today that uh, we consider important? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, come up come up with some of the, what, what are some of the ceremonies and, and rituals that we have as a church today that... That may need to be broken. I think spiritually unclean. We can be spiritually unclean. I think that's sure. Sure, we can. That should be considered. Yes. I don't think the ceremonies in itself and all the things that were set aside were wrong. It was to point to something. It was to help him to understand something. They took it and made it a law. That's not what God intended. And today, the things that we have are to teach us to point us to Christ is when we take it and make it a law, and we take it and make it, if you don't do this, you're not going to heaven. That's what makes it wrong. Okay. Such as? we have any examples? Well, I think that uh, smoking is, is very unhealthy, but I can think of many other things that are just as unhealthy in the church and in, in our diet and our condition and the whole nation with the obesity today there's a lot said in the Old Testament about obesity but we seem to really lock into that have for the 70 years I've been an Adventist on smoking it's just different from these other things you just and many people stop going to church absolutely in fact I I worked with them, you know, and said, look, God will give you the victory someday and so forth. And you keep coming. But they, people, they don't even like to sit next to someone who has smoked. I know couples who have not been allowed to be baptized into the church together because, well, Bill just won't give up his cigarettes. And we can't allow that. You know what? What kind of a message does that send? It's judging. Right, exactly. Any other rituals or rules we have today that might need to be bent or broken? Uh, Sabbath rules when we were growing up. Ooh, you know, 
Open that can of worms. Right. Yeah, if you're floating, you're swimming. If you're waiting, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we could talk for weeks on that one. Chris? It's the clarity at which when you read the stories about these broken women, they were broken down to the point where there was nothing else left for them. Uh, you can go back in Samuel 1 and you look at Hannah. She's broken. She's crying out to the Lord. You look at the lady. She's got the blood problem. You look at um, the child. The child is dead. It's not really the same. But I think how her mom felt, though. Her mom felt that way. You look at the, each one of these situations. The clarity is the fact that they have broken themselves down to the point where all that's left is looking towards Christ. Where we are sitting here saying, hey, maybe we should look at some of the Adventist rules to break. Maybe it's where we need to break ourselves and look clearly at the Lord. See God for what he is and seek him as these women sought him and be healed from within. And then all of a sudden those rules and regulations, yeah, God is going to break some of those cultural things maybe. But the clarity it comes through that he is there for us. He has saved us. He's giving us life. And that's the part that I see as being so important. Um, well said. Thank you. And if you want to go a step further, you look at the lady who's washing his feet. That's almost the after part where she is actually going, hey, I've been forgiven. And it is in our culture, it doesn't really work. Uh, if you look at somewhere where there's a sovereign, you go to some country like an Asian country, and you look at the people there. Buddha, he was born rich. He, is, you know, he chose to go. You look at someone like Christ, he was lowly. He, he was from the lower end. He spent his time with the lowly people. And all of a sudden, that just gives you great hope. Uh, when you realize that God came to be with people that are of low status, and he gave his life for them, all of a sudden, this lady who has been at the very bottom can say, hey, look, this man really cares for me. and He's done all of these wondrous things. And he's going to take me to heaven. And that brings that joy to those people such that so that, you know, if it was giving of expensive perfume, that was kind of like the most she had. It didn't matter. It was the most she had because she has given so much more from him. Thank you. Like Paul says, is God's kindness that leads us to repentance? Well, what I think you're saying is all these rules don't really matter. Well, I don't know what I'm saying that, but my question was, I'm trying to contrast what existed 2,000 years ago, and my concern is that are, are we in danger of falling in the same trap, or have we already fallen in the same trap uh, of becoming so wrapped up in the the do's and don'ts and and missing the point that Chris just made. It's not how, how legalistically you keep the Sabbath. It's to love the Lord and want to spend time with Him. It's your, it's your focus. It's where your heart is. It isn't, am I good enough? Am I doing everything that's right in terms of actions? It's how you love the Lord. And everybody's Sabbath keeping you different. But that's not the important thing. I think the subtle danger 
and looking at acts and looking at rules and everything, it gives you the impression that you're better than somebody else. Um, and, and, I mean, what is the core of gossiping? Is to make you look better and feel better because you're not like that other person. And that's where the trap really comes in. And that's what I think we have to guard against. It happened back then, and it happens today. Yeah, I, the perfect example. The Pharisees kept all the rules. It's like they were so... They were so adamant, uh, and Tim has brought this point forth very clearly many times. They were so adamant about keeping the Sabbath that they wanted wanted to kill God Himself and get Him down off the cross before sun went down, so they could keep the Sabbath. Yes, sir. I think that uh, looking at some of these things that were brought in as emergency measures that God introduced down in Old Testament times, and in our own time, what's helped me a lot is looking at these more as health principles and avoiding the word rules and laws and so forth, you know, that God uh, has not changed today, but he, he sometimes, with different cultures, changed. But health principles are still health principles, and they're perhaps more important today than they were uh, any time. And so it's a wise and loving God as a wise and loving parent who says, really, it's best you don't eat this or it's best you don't engage in these practices that the heathen are doing. Let's move on to Monday's lesson. We're going to look at the Samaritan woman at the well. The uh, lesson gives us a little background as to why the Samaritans and Jews were somewhat less than friendly towards one another because the Samaritans had tried to stop the work of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the temple uh, back when, um, just after the Jews had been released from their captivity in Babylon. But when Christ was traveling, he regularly took a direct route through Samaria, whereas the Pharisees would often go around it, take the long way around. And one day he finds himself at Jacob's well, the woman comes up and is drawing water. And let's look a little in a little more detail at the actual story itself. Go ahead, someone read John 4, 27 through 42. You can break it up into groups if you wish. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that he did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made that way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each one, Could someone have brought him food? And my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, for four months more, and then the harvest, and I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the same one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. 
Uh, see, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believe in him because of the woman's testimony. He, quote, he told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Okay, a little background is that he showed up at the well, asked the woman for a drink. What was significant about that? Okay. There was the racial, cultural, uh, ethnic uh, issues that had existed for many years. The Jews considered themselves superior to everyone, really, but certainly the Samaritans. What else was significant about it? He didn't demand it. He asked. Well, he was a rabbi, and she was a woman, and they didn't talk. Okay, he was a man, she was a woman. The man didn't address her when talked. Right, correct. More rules, quote, rules being broken here. This woman shows by her her interaction with Christ that she's thirsting for something spiritually. She has a spiritual need. Uh, she's not just content with who and where she is. Yes? He met her where she was. She was thirsty and he was thirsty. That's where they started. Correct. This is where we are. Exactly. He didn't have any prejudice for her. I mean, he, he, she felt that. He had absolutely no preconceived ideas, you know, that he let off that, you know, mm-hmm. some kind of thing. He was just completely open with And she didn't come to him. Right. He came to her. Right. He stood at the door and knocked. Yeah, she didn't come seeking him. Right. <laughs> Consider for a minute the ability to read people's thoughts and know their history. And then consider how you would use that ability. Uh, there's a reason that I don't read people's thoughts and, and can't know their history, because I would use it to my advantage. As a parent, you certainly would have. As a parent. <laughs> but Christ knows her history, knows her thoughts, and he reveals this, and he does it in a, in a manner that doesn't condemn her, but it and impresses upon her heart that here's a guy who knows my entire life history and doesn't condemn me for it. Could this possibly be the Messiah that we've heard about? Any thoughts? She must have known something who the Messiah would be. Maybe knew something about God's character that she thought, hey, this is different. Right. Ms. White, uh, in some of her writings on this subject, uh, you know, talks about how you know, Samaria was led into idolatry as well, and God allowed them to be taken captive and to be invaded and, and, and subjugated to a, another nation and was beginning to purify them of their idolatry. So they retained a knowledge of a Messiah coming, and they and many of them were looking forward to the Savior coming. And obviously this woman had knowledge of a Savior, she went back to her, uh, went back to her family and her friends and said, "You know, could this be the Messiah that we have heard about?" Yes. And something in addition, you know, we only have the words here, but there's so much more to communication. Mm. You know, all the nonverbals, the person's tone of voice, the, you know, how their whole manner toward you, 
Right. And I'm sure that she, as well as the other people that he was relating to, could see the, you know, the respect that he used with them. They could hear the caring in his voice that was so radical in these situations. Right. Normally there was prejudice or whatever. Or disdain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Thank you for bringing that up. In our lesson on Tuesday, in the second paragraph, I thought that was interesting. It says, the first part of her testimony is an invitation for them to meet for themselves the man who knew her story. Here is a simple but classic truth about witnessing. Our mission is not to convert people. Our task is to sow the seed and bring people to Jesus. And from there, the Holy Spirit cares for conversion. Nice segue to Tuesday's lesson. We're talking about women of mission. Here the woman has been awakened to the the spiritual thirst that she has, and she meets a man who promises to satisfy that thirst. And what does she do? Does she go home and keep it for herself? Or does she share it with her friends and family and allow that sort of exponential growth and progression to take place? Can are there any lessons for us today? Well, yeah. <laughs> Short answer, yes. <laughs> when the Lord does things for us, it's important that we share. When prayers are answered, when things happen in our life that's life-changing, you know, it's important to share with others. It, not, it just doesn't help you, but it gives other people hope that there's help for them also. Right. It's almost arrogance to think that we are the only ones struggling with a particular issue and that you know, if the Lord meets that need and helps us move past it, that we should be just satisfied with that. It's like Tina's questions here and, uh, and comments in, in class. I, for one, am grateful for them. And we know Kansas City is grateful for them because they've emailed Tim and said that. But she voices it. And I think, thanks, Tina. I was wondering the same thing. We all have similar struggles, and, and in order, and if we share what Christ has done for us in our jobs and our lives and with our families and with healing relationships and, and healing our physical and mental and uh, emotional sicknesses, it helps our brethren. It helps our brothers and sisters because many of them are struggling with the same things. Yes? There's no limit to the one who puts self aside. There's no limit to the one who puts self aside. My language in Holland, I was the poorest in language. I was very good in arithmetic. And when I came here and wanted to read Desire of Ages, and I told it once before, some may have heard it. And I was reading a part, and I said, Lord, I can only make words from it. Can you open my mind that I can understand it? From there on, I could read the whole spirit of prophecy without a problem. And I read all her books. I received a real blessing. He really opened my mind to the whole language. Now, that's not a miracle. I don't know what it is. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. I think the uh, it also uh, speaks to our relationship to Muslims, to uh, Jehovah's Witness, to uh, Catholics. You know, it's kind of a unique to me uh, when I come back from Florida and I get here in time for this pageant on the campus here, what do you call it, Sunrise, and you see people that you know or you don't know what background they are. Just They're just Christians who are interested in something like that. And uh, I think it is so difficult for us to accept people, just open whatever their religion, sure. open and talk with them so forth. We're living in a, uh, 
Oh, Nazarene campground in Florida. Uh, the only Adventists there. And uh, it's very refreshing to go on Friday nights to their meetings and just go down and sit down in the middle of them and rejoice that because they're born-again Christian people. And it's helping me because I fight against that, you know. I'm very comfortable around when I see Adventists here coming and going or in a store or something else, but I'm not as outgoing if they're not Adventists. Alan? I was going to make one point that one thing I learned at Alcoholics Anonymous was that when you finally get over the guilt and the shame of all your wrongdoing over the years, that the very last step in AA is to share with others what you've learned and to help heal them. And to become a mentor to others who are struggling. That's the final step that you go through through your recovery. Absolutely. I think too often we are result oriented. Mm-hmm. We don't see immediate right. result and we give up and go someplace else. Right. We all often handcuff the Holy Spirit or limit the Holy Spirit by thinking that, well, what can I possibly have to offer? We have no way of I mean the Holy Spirit has countless ways to uh to accomplish its task. And it gives us the privilege of assisting in that process. There was another hand. We should not be concerned. I mean, because we can work with anyone. We are just a privileged one who have learned. Mm-hmm. Other people may not have had the opportunity. Right. We didn't know how. I'm, yes. I'm intrigued that this woman had the reputation she probably did in this village. With this, you know. She may have had yeah, a question. She was the one chosen mm-hmm. to come and tell them. There may have been a lot of purposes going on um, within this whole scenario. And I'm just thrilled that the people listened to her and, and, and put aside what may have been. Or maybe it was a more powerful testimony because it came from her. Who knows? It's just kind of intriguing to me. Yeah. They didn't go to wash the same time as she did. They'll do the well. They who? They ignored her. She was going at a time that would have yeah. been uh, the other women mm. isolated as bad. Mm. I just think it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when I started <clears throat> coming to class, I it really opened up my mind um, to understand God's love and how much He loves me, and it was just um, like joy in my heart. And I wanted to invite everybody I knew, so I started inviting everybody I knew, and it's like. Um, Getting engaged, you show your wedding ring, you're getting married. You know, it's so exciting that how can you keep quiet about it? I think that's the kind of joy we need to share with others. Think of what we've learned here, you know. Any other insights? The woman at the well? I want to consider for a minute the women who are traveling with Christ and the disciples. A bit curious as to why it was women that were traveling along and supporting the group financially and and meeting their temporal needs as opposed to, you know, why weren't men doing this? Someone read Luke 8, 1 through 3, please. And it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, 
from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Jerza, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Okay, Mark 1541. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many old women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. Okay, so here we see a picture of Christ beginning his ministry, and he's traveling with his disciples, and he's got a, a host of folks following along with him, and many of them are women. What strikes this as significant to you? Anything? They were leaving their homes. Okay. Women are caregivers. Okay, so women may be wired a little differently than, than men are. This was a man who didn't want to use them for anything. He just wanted to love them in a pure way. He wasn't trying to make them slaves or servants or abuse or use them. He was just a pure man. And that would be very appealing to any woman. Okay. Any other thoughts? Apparently Peter's wife was not jealous Peter's wife was not jealous of she she was at home with her mother or his wasn't it but um, so there must have been a lot of trust because it wasn't just Jesus there were uh, 12, 12 apostles too and, and some other men perhaps in this day and age they would sure be rumors and talk I think okay I've never heard it in Sabbath school class that women all the, the women went the women that went with them, I've never thought of that. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, lots of little jewels hidden in here, aren't there? I don't have any brilliant glimpses of, of the obvious as to why women were with this entourage, uh, other than they just felt grateful for, I mean, many. it says in uh, Luke that many of them had been healed of diseases, had demons cast out of them, and they're rendering this service uh, because that was the only way they knew how to thank him. You know, here again, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And they uh, they must have uh, felt that there was a place for them to serve. The men took the place in the churches, right? Synagogues, everything was a man's world, but here mm-hmm. was something that they could do in God's... Ladies, do you like to feel valuable? Yes. Is that near the top of the list? No, I'm valued by God. That's what only counts. But isn't it nice to feel valued by God? Oh, yeah, I appreciate it because he makes no difference. Yes, sir. Another way of thinking about this uh, possibly could have been with the entourage traveling around. They were being supported by miracles, you know, by food, drink. Oh, yeah, money being spoken into existence. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And so perhaps the men that were in the group were thinking, well, Jesus has done this before. Perhaps we'll do it again. Mm. And the women perhaps just became part of that and said, we're not waiting for the men. Mm. Let's just go do this. We know how to do it. And uh, this is what we've experienced doing so. <laughs> Excellent thought. I, I remember hearing one time that there's no force on earth more powerful than a group of women who set their minds to do something, to accomplish something. <laughs> Thermonuclear destruction's got nothing. <laughs> Let's wrap it up with... Uh, closing prayer. I want to thank you guys for your input. This, uh, again, I struggled mightily with this lesson.
Gracious Father, we thank you for guidance today uh, in your Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you for the examples of women in ministry, and we thank you for giving us the privilege uh, as men and women, as your children, to to share what you've done in our lives with uh, our friends and families and co-workers and strangers and, and even within our enemies. Uh, we're, entitled, we're encouraged to do that. Please uh, lift us up and give us the strength to accomplish that so that we may hasten your coming. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.